Welcome to the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast from the Institute of Transportation Engineers. Each month, we'll bring you conversations with thought leaders in transportation on the future of the industry. Our topic today on the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast is going to be mobility as a service. And our guest is Sue Zielinski. Sue is a longtime mobility innovator. Currently, she's an independent consultant. Previously, she was the managing director of SMART at the University of Michigan. Sue, welcome to the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast. Great to be here. I've seen a number of different definitions when it comes to mobility as a service. When I was looking this up ahead of time, it seemed like almost every place I looked, there was a somewhat different take on exactly what that is. So why don't we start off by by first identifying this as you would define it, so that we at least are, are working on some common ground as far as how that is defined. Well... First, I want to corroborate that is so incredibly true. In a recent report that I worked on on MOSS, uh, there were about 20 sort of MOSS-like search terms uh, for our research. There's smart cities, there's um, mobility as a service, there's transportation as a service, mobility as on demand, a whole ton of them. I guess my favorite was the egg-laying wool milk sow out of Bremen, which was an early kind of a MOSS-like approach, and it was to describe something that brings a lot of really disparate things together and makes them work well all at the same time for the user. So I really love that one. Um, It's a bit long-winded, but I generally am in a bit of a rose-by-any-other-name mode because I think (laughs) if we think about things as moss and moss-like, we can kind of think, well, you know, MOSS, it's really a meta-concept. It's not a definition. It's more of a description. And it's a concept that I think heralds a really true step change, which is not a tweak or an upgrade. It's a whole new way of doing things that's more resilient and responsive and inclusive and that actually connects all the different dots. It's not kind of trying to define something that's immutable, but it, it evolves. And I think we are finally moving from disparate individual modes and services and technologies and things to the systems of connected options. And instead of trying to predict the winning mode at a time when technology is outpacing policy and all these new things are are coming in. So I see it as sort of a system of systems that's customized to the user. And so the general, I guess, principles or characteristics of MOSS for me are that it has to be somewhat multi-mode and multi-service. It's usually supported by new technologies, new business models. It's generally public-private, but doesn't have to be. But it's generally bringing a lot of different things together to serve the user from door to door. And for me, even the user I see in the broadest way possible, that the user could be a person or it could be a city or it could be a company or it could be an economy and it could be for moving people, which is how we think of MOSS, but it could also be about moving goods or it could even be about moving less. So in other words, how do we reduce or replace trips 
using combinations of things that are brilliantly connected using the most recent evolutions of um, innovation. At the opening of the podcast, I gave a brief introduction about you, but maybe you could give us a little more background of, of what your experience has been in this space and how you came to be involved with it. I kind of feel like I've been doing MOSS for 30 years because I think I've always seen it in terms of the fact that everything has to fit together or the systems aren't going to work for who counts. And so I guess I started off working at the City of Toronto, working actually on bicycle transportation and sustainable transportation and had a role there in moving that forward within a city government. And I'm, I'm an urban planner, but I'm sort of not a typical urban planner because I focus on transportation and also because I think of it as both a public and a private system. So I've always been that way inclined. We had a challenge at the city at one point where we were called to address the budget constraints and to move towards some of the economic benefits of sustainability and sustainable transportation. That was in the 90s when um, Michael Porter was talking about industry clusters, when we were called to make our work both ecologically and economically sustainable, suddenly it made sense to me that actually this is not a cost, this is an investment, this is a benefit, sustainable transportation. It saves money by optimizing, it creates jobs, it revitalizes local and regional economies and makes them more competitive, and it actually forms the foundation of an emerging new mobility industry cluster. Well, I thought that was probably being talked about around the world, and then I started calling around saying, well, you know, where are the studies on the emerging industry cluster? This was about 98. We had a big conference where we called together globally people who had put on the ground different ventures and projects and programs within government and even private sector ones that had done one of those four economic benefits. And we got 200 examples, and that was in the 90s. And ever since then, I've been looking at, well, wait a minute, we don't want a whole disparate bunch of things. We need to actually bring these together so that the user can make sense of them and actually so that the system is efficient. So that's my background, and I eventually ended up being blessed by a Loeb Fellowship uh, and focused on uh, new mobility industry and enterprise and startups and things like that, and then was recruited to the University of Michigan to develop and direct a program called SMART at the University of Michigan, uh, which stood for Sustainable Mobility, Accessibility, Research, and Transformation, and there did a lot of global work and uh, was supported by Ford Motor Company, which was one of the first automotive companies to embrace the MOS-like approach, the integrative beyond automotive and integrating all the different modes and services. You mentioned at the start of your career working in the city of Toronto. When I look at this, at least in North America, it seems that much of the work, at least on the government side, really is more on the side of cities rather than states or provinces. Is that accurate? No, that's a really good question, actually. Well, I guess on the kind of moss-like things, there is more on the local and regional level. However, 
you know, the province has such a huge role, just like the state has such a huge role in transportation, that there's, <laughs> there's definitely a connection there. But I suppose in terms of rolling up the sleeves and getting the hands dirty, it's, it's on the local and regional level. That's a good observation. You talked a bit about your work in Michigan at the University of Michigan with SMART. Tell us a bit about that. You were there for about 11 years or so. So what were some of the things that you were involved with during your time at the University of Michigan? Well, I guess the main three things were working with the great support of Ford to identify some of the emerging markets in new mobility, in integrated, sustainable, IT-enabled, door-to-door, equitable, on-demand transportation, multimodal. So we did a lot of work. India, South Africa, Brazil, the Philippines looked at some of the emerging markets there. And while doing that, developed a methodology to help leaders across private sector, public sector, NGOs, and enterprise to come together and actually implement MOS-like systems. This was back in, I guess this was in around 2006. And um, at the same time, we were, again, very lucky to be supported by the Rockefeller Foundation to uh, develop a platform of new mobility enterprises when the sort of enterprise space wasn't like what it is right now. And so, again, um, some of the focus there was on the underserved and on the emerging economies and how can transportation be better, help support populations that are even more affected by transportation problems, but also how can um, new mobility innovation be an opportunity to create new jobs and new startups and new enterprises within those, I guess, low-income countries and emerging economies. So we did that. That was one thing, the, the sort of global work, which was extremely useful because um, in some cases we had to stretch ourselves to think about what kinds of solutions that are integrative could be done in the absence of good policy or good funding or good leadership (laughs) or good integration or good infrastructure. And so when you've got those kinds of challenges, you're looking at, well, you know, how can some of these new alliances, how can some of these new technologies, how can some of these new ways of, you know, opening data or doing policy in different ways be applied? So that was a great thing. And the third thing was to do research on these emerging areas of new mobility in the areas of new business models, new policies, um, you know, how things are being done differently, um, what's happening in the, in the MOS evolution. Developing an integrated system sounds really complex and difficult, and it is, but at the same time, it's not raising everything to the ground and starting from scratch, and it often involves connecting the dots. So sometimes the dots, some of the dots are already there. So in some cases, it's not as difficult as it seems. It's just that those different players, public, private, non-NGO, haven't even met each other and they haven't been working together and they haven't been thinking of it as a system because it's not in their mandate. They have to do their own BRT. They have to put in the highway systems. They have to deal with the informal transport. They have to figure out the bicycle transportation, but they're all different people. And so what we realized was, oh, well, we could be a link tank. We could actually 
provide a forum in these different cities for those different people coming together. So from my perspective, it was a matter of getting an inventory of what they already had so that we could figure out what we were building on. And um, the exciting part was the people around the table. It wasn't like a visioning session. It was like, well, what have we got here? What are we building on? And um, we discovered in, we did it in 25 different cities, in India, South Africa, Brazil, the Philippines, Europe, China, across the world. And, you know, almost consistently, most of the people had not met each other yet. The people who actually were responsible for making transportation better hadn't met each other yet. And they, they hadn't seen uh, how some of their things already even connect. At the very beginning, I started asking them as each city sort of contacted us and said, hey, we heard you're, what you're doing in India. We're in Brazil, and we have Olympics and FIFA coming up. Can you come over? So th- this is how it kind of evolved organically. I realized I wanted a map of everything they have, and then I wanted to see a red dot where two or more things already connected because that's how you start to look at, well, how are people's roots already linking the auto rickshaw informal with the BRT system, with the um, taxis, with the car share, all those things. And uh, inevitably, in every single city, people would say, you know, oh, I didn't realize we had so many things in place already. We didn't realize that some of the stuff already connected. And then you can instantly see the gap. So that was a way of having them go away and not only meet people they hadn't met before that they could now work with to be connecting these dots and to be thinking about the system as opposed to competing with their system against somebody else's system or their mode or service, thinking, okay, our our bike program is better than your new electric bus. No, the the whole point is, is the user and that the, the bringing it together is as important. The, the connecting is as important as the dots. You talked about your work at SMART involving uh, some efforts with Ford, a company that's been around for over a century. But a lot of these companies that are providing new mobility services weren't around 10 years ago, some cases maybe even five years ago. Uber, Lyft, bike share companies, uh, something brand new within the past year or two, shared scooter services. Most of these companies just by definition, they're private companies, and they move rather quickly, sometimes coming into cities without even getting approval. How can traditional transportation players, how can they keep up and work effectively with these new players that are coming in? And one of the things I've noticed is that cities seem to be at the same time welcoming these new services into their city. But on the other hand, you see cities coming in and shutting down the services, it seems, in almost equal numbers. In our recent research, we asked, you know, what are the toughest things? And it's never the technology. It's never the kind of engineering or it's not even the spatial arrangement. It's, oh, boy, public-private balance is really tricky. And so is developing the public-private ecosystems that are required for all of the right information to be at the table at the same time so that you're not kind of leaving stuff out along the way. It's a real challenge, but it's really exciting at this point because there has been this huge evolution towards developing these multi-sector ecosystems, and there are 
private initiatives at that, at that ecosystem building. There are national initiatives like in the Nordic countries that are actually investing really huge amounts of money in matching funds to attract some of these innovative services and to advance innovation and development and accelerate the kinds of businesses and services that and even new business models that are evolving to help this out. And I think that we're at a stage now where the conversations are really happening. What we're seeing, too, is that there are a lot of pilots in mass, but the kind of direct deployments and rollouts have been slower because there are all of these different things that need to be worked out. And one of the tricky bits is that every different city has a different set of sort of legacy spatial arrangements, legacy industries, <laughs> legacy policies that are in a different configuration. So each city, in a sense, has to customize the particular MOS system that they make in order to make the trips customized for the user. So this is all to say it's really tricky, but as, you know, as Sampo says, Sampo from WIM, who's, who's doing one of the leading um, MOS ventures um, in many different cities, just as is similar to um, Where Is My Transport, doing a lot of sort of data-related work um, in more of the emerging um, economies. It is tricky, but I think that, that it's being at long last it's being grappled with, uh, with those different sectors in the same room. I suppose in the past, there have been assumptions from within sectors, and sectors haven't had to work with each other sometimes because they've got enough money to do it on their own. And now it's really essential as transportation needs within an urbanizing world are becoming more and more complex and challenging, more of the players have to be at the table. So I think that the very positive um, outcome, even though it feels like that really difficult stage of um, working out the details, it's a completely exciting time. And for that reason, I would say that one of the important things for us to uh, remember is not to get scared and want to close things down too quickly or formalize too quickly or to try and define as opposed to describe MOS. So if we try and define MOS in Europe and then try to apply that somewhere in India or Indonesia, that's just not going to work. You know, if we look at in Finland, and they're currently real leaders in the development of MOS and, and also I think the dissemination of MOS opportunity. And uh, they've been working from a policy and government level on things like open APIs and opening the data and um, making sure the systems are open systems such that the innovation can plug into the overall system and can um, make it so that it is interoperable for the user. And at the same time, that it's not so much strict rules and regulations that are detailed um, and, and worded to find themselves in giant piles of, <laughs> of policy uh, legislation books. It's now policy is evolving into sort of 
policy frameworks that are outcome-based, where those different players are supported both in terms of policy and in terms of financing to achieve a certain outcome and to work together on that and um, less according to rules that we can't make because we don't know when the next Uber-like phenomenon is going to appear on the scene. So what this does is it has a real effect on our resilience muscle, on, on our capacities as humans that can work with each other to achieve goals, which are often, in the end, often the goals are even similar. So that was one of the things we found when we were doing the mapping um, way back at the beginning. We would see that, in fact, you know, some of the first times we did it, I worried a bit that, oh, my goodness, you know, we're bringing all of these different people in the room, and are they going to be arguing about everything? And, in fact, it often just comes down to a few real key uh, hotspot points that are difficult to overcome but so often really smart solutions can be made when the kinds of players that have not necessarily worked together before um, come up with an, um, an interesting solution. So that's a very long-winded way of saying it is really hard work to figure out what that balance is in every single different city and to figure out how to speak the different languages and negotiate the different terms for integrated working systems. But the most exciting part to me is that this um, exercise has formed the foundation of the kinds of networks and um, integrated alliances and, I guess, ecosystems that we are going to need if we're going to be able to innovate in the face of great opportunities or in the face of really huge, difficult challenges. Sue, as we wrap things up, I'd like to ask your thoughts on what ITE should be doing to increase its members' understanding of MOSS and what ITE's role might be. First, I wanted to say I'm just so thrilled that ITE is actually initiating a program on MOSS. It's just fantastic because ITE is such an amazing network that has such power in terms of being able to move things forward through so many different strands of their work and their network. And I would say it would be so important not only for ITE to sort of understand theoretically what MOSS is all about, but but get ITE really involved, maybe even sort of host MOSS-related events, and but also within those various sort of principles that, that I mentioned earlier, and I think it would be super interesting if ITE members beyond transportation could get involved. So people that are involved in in all the sectors that even have anything to do with transportation, so energy, IT, real estate and development, um, tourism, uh, you know, a whole range of different sectors, if if ITE could move into understanding how those areas link to uh, MOS-like goals. And um, I think it would also be really great um, for ITE members 
to be involved in a combination of joint research, joint demonstrations, and this is all over the world. There's, there's things happening all over the world and, and not to limit yourselves to uh, where you are into one particular place, but, but sort of globally. So yes, research and demonstration and deployment and also uh, dissemination of all aspects of MOSS. And I think that way it could begin to address some of the public-private balance issues and questions and opportunities. We've been talking on the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast with Sue Zielinski, talking about mobility as a service, MOSS. And I feel in a way that we've just kind of scratched the surface of this rapidly changing topic. But Sue, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Oh, a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.